0: I wasn't making any money, my agency dropped me. It was like, you know, the saying like life like like that feeling of when like life feels like it's falling apart. Like for me, that was like so I just had a job for six years and and it and it didn't allow me to transition really into a career, but now I'm like six, seven, eight years older. Mm-hmm. Am I gonna have to like go back to school? Like what am I gonna you know, what am I gonna do with myself?
1: Give it a yeah, I bet they'll call you a genius. Max Lugavere is a chart-topping health podcaster, wellness journalist, speaker, filmmaker, and author. Max appears regularly on segments with Dr. Oz, The Rachel Ray Show, and The Doctors. He's contributed to Vice, Fast Company, CNN, and Fox. If that wasn't enough, he's also been featured on The Today Show, PBS's Brief But Spectacular, The New York Times, and People Magazine. On today's episode is my friend Max Lugavere. I'm so excited you're here. (laughs) What up? Thanks for having me. One of the reasons why I'm doing this show is because we see people that have achieved greatness and success and we think that perhaps they were born into that or that that's just like who they are in their DNA. But at some point, you were just Max Lugavere. Yeah. And I want to know, like, what was the first inspiration? Were you always obsessed? Who said you could?
0: Hmm. I definitely didn't grow up in this industry. I, I mean, I guess we could call it the entertainment industry that I find myself in. Although I dabble in myriad, I would say, different um, fields. But I, uh, I grew up. I was always interested in. I mean, I've, i my, I can count my passions, my biggest passions in life on one hand. One of them is music. One of them is cinema, and the third is health and like nutrition. I've been obsessed with with health and nutrition for as long as I can remember. I think the the obsession began when I was about 15, 16. I was a pretty shy, introverted high schooler and uh, I stumbled into I grew up in, in New York City and I went to school in Chelsea and near my high school there was like this like little one-off mom and pop sports supplement store and one day after school I stumbled in there and I saw all these like supplements potions. I saw them as potions really, but they were like these powders and and drink mixes and, and packets and bars and things that I saw on the walls. And I saw them as sort of like a, like a magical sort of like golden ticket to, to transcend my, you know, humanness. My, my humanness. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And with that, I became interested in fitness and exercise. And um,
1: did you get the supplements? Were they transformative?
0: Well, I mean, like in as an adult, I've realized that supplements are, all you know for the most part all marketing but nonetheless I appreciate it I appreciated it at the time for being the sort of on-ramp to this this interest that I think I'm gonna have for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. and so yeah I I dabbled and I tinkered and I spent a lot of you know money that I didn't have at the time um on these powders and and stuff but it, it got me working out and it got me you know in the mindset of like iterating and tinkering with my own body and it was, like, a really fun sort of journey. And I, I started to get in better shape, and I started to feel really confident in my body. And uh, I was never an athlete. So, you know, for me, like, I I was kind of a computer nerd, like, back in the day. And I, you know, was, like, f- fairly soft. And, like, <laughs> I, you know, I started working out, and I started to develop, like, you know, obviously I was, like, kind of going through puberty at the same time. But, um, but yeah, it was I don't just...
1: think you can call yourself soft if you were... Younger than puberty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're right. But it was, um, but no, I started to like get strong and I started to build my confidence and it just began this, this like obsession with fitness and nutrition. And I actually, when I started college, I aspired to go into medicine and I actually, I started college on a pre med track. I was like a biology major. Mm. But um, halfway through college, I, Ha- I I realized something about myself. I realized that I was a storyteller and that I was creative, and that I had like uh, an aesthetic. And um, what was, do you mean by that? Well, I mean for one, I was really I was I, I realized that I was really interested um, in film and music, and that film and music had the ability to get under my skin, and I could feel it, and I could relate to it in a way that. Um, wasn't casual, you know, I just, I, I had that feeling at the time that, like, you know, I had, like, I was, like, obsessed with, like, vocals and songwriting, and I, I just, um, that's, at that point, I decided to both become a filmmaker and a musician, actually, fairly late in life, I think if I would have started earlier, particularly with regard to music, I probably would have been a better musician earlier, but, um, but nonetheless, like, that was a really powerful insight for me, and because of that insight, I pivoted out of that biology major, and I ended up double majoring in film and psychology, and uh, and so I I essentially at that point I bid any hope of doing like health as a profession adieu because I went into like into film yeah, right and um
1: by the way when you say you went into film was it the backside like producing and uh, directing
0: I I mean I studied all of those things in school but I I didn't really. Um, no, it wasn't really so much the back end of it because I tuned out during all the classes where we had to measure like F stops and things like that. You know, the lighting for the film nerds, it's like how you measure light intensity. And, uh, and I had a lot of difficulty cause I have like, you know, ADD reading scripts. So writing scripts wasn't really my thing. And the directing, so I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I really liked film. And also, at the time, I'm going to kind of date myself, but at the time that I was like just about to graduate college, this is when like digital video really started to become a thing Mm -hmm. where like you could actually afford a digital video camera and point and shoot cameras. Like, I don't even know if like your listeners know what that means
1: like a Canon, yeah, shoot like a little
0: (laughs) Canon, like those started to be able to, to shoot really good video Mm -hmm. I mean compared to an iPhone they're crap but like at the time it was like incredible video um with just like a handheld camera that you could fit in your back pocket and so the immediacy of storytelling that that allowed to me that was super attractive and um and so I again didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time because like YouTube didn't exist and um yeah like I I didn't know how to apply that necessarily I kind of at the time thought that maybe documentary filmmaking was like the track that I was going to go down and so that's kind of what I I focused on but yeah I just I knew that I liked I knew that I liked like the immediacy of digital storytelling and I liked also being in front of the camera that I felt very comfortable in front of the camera I didn't know what I aspired to do in front of the camera I didn't want to be an actor you know or anything like that but like I knew that I felt really good like really comfortable in front of the camera just being myself.
1: Was there ever a part of you that in the back of your head was like, "This is risky <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I didn't I didn't know how I was gonna pay the bills. I mean, to be honest, when I was like in college, this is so embarrassing, but um I uh, I really like diesel jeans. I like okay. wearing diesel jeans cool and so my plan, but they were super expensive like I couldn't afford them with my like college budget, you know mm-hmm. so uh, my plan. This was a half-baked plan, but it was going to be to work at the diesel store, stock up on jeans, and save up enough money in doing so that I could then travel the world and make documentaries about cool stuff going on in the world.
1: And did you do it? No. Okay. (laughs)
0: never happened because I ended up graduating and getting a dream job working for Al Gore for six years. I remember that. Yeah, he saw the talent in me as a young, passionate storyteller, And he hired me, he plucked me essentially from college. I mean, I graduated, but I ended up immediately after graduating, moving to Los Angeles.
1: So wait, you were a student putting maybe videos on the internet. How did Al Gore, almost president of the United States, for those of you who don't know, but how did this man find you?
0: So essentially he was launching a TV network in the United States called Current TV back in 2005 is when it launched. And it had yet to even have a name. It was called Indie TV at the time. But his representatives, these people that were involved in indie TV, what would ultimately become current, were touring around the country looking for um, people like me that they were then gonna hire to create the bulk of the content for this, for this upstart TV network.
1: It's a great idea. Yeah. They Kudos were gonna. To them.
0: Yeah. I mean, this was before YouTube. So the idea of like being able to create content and then to be on TV that was like you know, yeah that was like that that was a really enticing proposition right i mean ultimately youtube came about actually the same year that current launched and far eclipsed current tv current tv ultimately failed um at the time current was looking to hire 50 college grads that they were going to give laptops and cameras to and then send them around the world so to me it was like a dream job
1: yeah summer yeah. vacation yeah
0: <laughs> but i was like sign me the f up you know yeah Because, I mean, you heard my plan. Like, It was a much better plan than (laughs) what I had baking.
1: That's like such a bizarre moment of serendipity and destiny. Do you believe in that as a side note? Like, didn't this moment actually change your life? It did, yeah. It's like a coincidental thing that happened.
0: It absolutely changed my life, yeah. It it absolutely changed my life that that I got to do this. It also made me – it also – the job made me realize – like what I'm good at helped me help me to realize what I'm good at what I'm passionate about where I where my sort of zone of confidence and competence meet and so yeah basically how they came to hire me was I as an undergraduate independent study I made a quote-unquote documentary about my life in Miami because I went to University of Miami I don't know if I mentioned that but me I went too. to school in Miami and I was like having the time of my life, but I was also like, particularly at the time, I was like uh, having a lot of like spiritual thoughts and like I I was really into like Eastern philosophy and and stuff. And so I made this documentary to sort of reconcile all of my interests at the time. And um, I applied to this position at, at Current TV with like the usual application, which at the time felt very much like a real world application, what I would assume like a real world, you know, to be on the real world felt like. And then in tandem with that, I, uh, I sent them this film that I was working on just as like, because uh, they didn't ask for like films or work, you know, they just wanted to see who you were as a, as a person. But I sent them this film that I was working on and based on that film, they hired me to anchor the network. Like oh full time. Yeah. And not only that, but they didn't they didn't follow through with that original plan of hiring fifty people. They just hired me.
1: but that isn't necessarily destiny. That is you going after something. Like you found the opportunity. Yes. It wasn't like they were like, Let's find a college student. It happened to be you. No, it
0: wasn't random. I threw myself at them and I took a risk in terms of uh, sending them this project because they didn't ask for the project. I was just like, This project really kind of I think illustrates who I am, my interests, my sensibilities more so than like the written application you know certainly my resume was crap at the time so uh, well, i mean you're in college <laughs> yeah yeah so i didn't re- there wasn't really much to to for them to have gone by um but this film was pretty risky because it was like pretty like out there um you know and uh yeah, it was like a wild like like performance piece. I was in front I was in front of the camera and I was like, you know, talking about like my my journey in Miami. And um and I did it with a friend in college at the time. And uh they hired me and him based on that film and they didn't they didn't hire anybody else and then they went like, you know, in Hollywood and they hired like hosts and things like that. So that was my first job out of college and it lasted six years and I got to learn everything there was to know about storytelling, about, you know, the responsibility that it takes to, to speak to an audience of millions of people potentially. And yeah, just an incredible, incredible job. And my role there was as a as a generalist. So I was like a host slash producer on the network and I got to talk about a bajillion different things. I got to talk about politics. I got to I think the Egyptian Spring or whatever like happened right yeah like at the time or whatever when there was like that like uprising you know at that time so i got to talk about that on tv i got to talk about health when when it came about i got to talk about uh you know fashion the environment like you name it so i was i was a generalist um but of course you know the 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 topics that i've always been obsessed with as i mentioned were you know i would always try to steer the ship to talk about like either music or film or health whenever i could
1: I'm curious. Walk me through what happened at the end of the six year period. Were you feeling like, wow, I've already made it. Life is great. I'm going to be a generalist (laughs) host on networks for the rest of my life. I have a gift for that. Or like, what were you thinking when the term came up? What what happened next? How did you grow from there?
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was set for life and then reality hit me. Huh. And uh, I realized that I actually wasn't set at all because I um, I wasn't really paid a lot. So I didn't really have much savings and I wasn't famous afterwards because the network was like underwatched. Like people didn't really... I did it for six years and I learned a lot. But like it didn't leave me with a, with a platform the way if you're on a successful show as an actor or a host, you know, you, you usually leave with like a platform of like... Followers or whatever the you know whatever, um, whatever that is you know, in a given time period, right? But uh, but I left the job and I had signed with this big agency at the time, um, and they put me up for like a bunch of different like roles, like you know, I remember once I was up as a to potentially host like X Factor, like some big mm, ass, <laughs> yeah, no, but not nothing panned out ultimately, and um, and I felt like my career had dove off a cliff. And I was like having complete, like uh, there was a a point where it was like, you know, the saying like life, like like that feeling of when like life feels like it's falling apart. Like for me, that was like like a couple years after that, like post current window. And I was like, so I just had a job for six years and and it and it didn't allow me to transition really into a career. But now I'm like six, seven, eight years older Mm -hmm. am I gonna have to like go back to school like what am I gonna you know what am I gonna do with myself I wasn't making any money my agency dropped me and then that was was your
1: headspace like were you thinking there'll be a way were you panicking were you thinking I have to go back and be a doctor now (laughs) oh I
0: was absolutely panicking I mean everything was on the line I was in my late 20s I was unemployable because I had no resume. Like my resume was six years as talent on a TV network. I didn't want to work as an editor. Like I knew that I had a gift. I knew that I had something in me that led to me getting that job, that led to me succeeding at that job. And the fact that that job ended and my career dove off a cliff, that wasn't my fault, that wasn't my problem. That was a problem with like the industry, right? I knew that I had something to offer the world. I didn't know what it was, But I knew that if I just gave myself the space, like the time and space to figure it out, that I would figure it out. And a word that I, um, that I really like used as a mantra at the time was trust. That I just had to trust myself. I had to try. I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I had to trust myself enough to know that I would get myself there. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, ultimately, I did. Like it was it was amazing. You know how everything kind of worked out, but
1: sometimes you just subconsciously assume that whatever the mass population thinks is what's true. And you have to have almost like a delusional resilience to your self-belief to believe that you are like a top tier diamond when you're getting rejection after rejection or there's just, you know, it doesn't feel like there's like an opportunity for what your skill sets are. So how how did you end up finding your next break?
0: Well, so I mean, it, I guess the story gets like worse before it gets better. <laughs> cool. But um, in my in my personal life, you know, when I, I was at the low, low, low point in my career, uh, n- not knowing how I was gonna make rent, um, in my personal life, also, I mean, I I ended up like moving into a four bedroom house with like three strangers as roommates. Where? Like. Here in West Hollywood, like okay. I, I really like I dramatically had to cut costs, not because I was like necessarily broke, but because I, I didn't have any money coming in. And um, and this is after like being in like magazines at the time, which mattered, you know, doesn't yeah. doesn't so much anymore. But like I was interviewed for like interview magazine, which was yeah. like Andy Warhol's magazine. I was in all the all the big like magazines at the time, like, you know. Gave me press about my role on current TV, and I was like, I was doing like red carpets and all this stuff. And uh, and so it was like an amazing, an amazing like buzz that I had about this job, which again, like just off a cliff. And so afterwards, I ended up like having to move into this house, and um, yeah, it was like, it was pretty, it was pretty depressing. Like, (laughs) it was, it was definitely like a career. Low, And I made the best of it, like I, I definitely like, I've always prioritized self-care, so I was like working out all the time, and, um, and you know, so that, that, was, that really helped me um, make it through. But it was then in my personal life that my mom got sick. And my mom, who was living 3,000 miles away, back home in New York City, which is where I'm from, uh, started, to, started to complain of brain fog, and, uh, and like movement issues. And because I had the time, I started spending more and more time in New York City, and I started to to notice the changes that she was talking about. And ultimately, um, I decided to go to doctor's appointments with her because I had always been very fluent, uh, if not in in health and medicine, at least in like asking questions, you know. And I know that I knew that a patient, when somebody is scared about their own health, like, you know, like you, you know, there's like this great Mike Mike Tyson quote that everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? And chronic illness is, get, is the equivalent of getting punched in the face. And so often when people present to doctors with a complex, scary, life-threatening health problem, um, it can be hard to ask like questions and to really like, uh, be mindful of like the nuances that are delivered by the physician because you only get typically 10, 15 minutes with them, right? So right. I decided to accompany my mom to different doctor's appointments, and ultimately she was diagnosed with uh, a neurodegenerative condition. Oh. And um, yeah, it's a condition that was akin to having both Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease at the same time. And that was like a bomb going off in my world. I mean, I had all this other stuff that I had to worry about, right? But like when my mom was was prescribed drugs for both Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, that that to me was like, you know, it was like in the in the movie when like the the record skips, you know, like just everything stops, and yeah. uh, and that's what it was like for me in my life.
1: That's it's like pressure from both sides of the balloon, you know, and like the only thing that sometimes is holding us together is like sheer willpower or hope or just like what is the alternative you you know the alternative is letting everything reach chaos and I want to know like what it was in you that kept hope in your mom's well-being and in taking care of that and also like did you feel like uh, life is so unjust like what do you do when you feel like life is un unfair yeah I mean
0: every everybody gets dealt a different hand um I think that it comes back in many ways to my upbringing like my, how my mom raised me she raised me to uh she raised me with a sort of entitlement about things in a good way I think ent- entitlement gets a bad rap because I mean, there's, you can be entitled to people's like, time and, 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 and emotions and I think that's bad, but uh, entitlement to, I think, like information and answers and clarity, I think that's a good thing. And, um, and so when my mom, you know, my mom was the kind of person where like at, a, at restaurants, like if, if she ever got, if the food ever came out and it was like cold, she would like send it back without even like a moment's hesitation. She, was, she felt entitled to getting what she thought she was paying for, right? That's just like one, one example of many. But when my mom got sick, I think um, I felt, especially as a millennial, like as a child of the internet, I felt entitled to answers. And I wasn't getting them in those doctor's offices. I was getting diagnosed and Adios in those doctor's mm-hmm. offices. And so...
1: Which is funny, because most people think that that is the answer. Yeah. And you didn't.
0: I didn't I mean I had had this like passion for health and nutrition right I kind of was familiar with like where to find good credible medical research because I had dabbled in it in the past I wasn't like an expert or anything like that but um, but you know like as I also as a journalist like you you know you know like how to recognize like what a credible source is and what what is not as credible and how to ask questions and how to maintain skepticism and not believe everything you read like um, you know, like as a, as a headline writer, you learn not to trust the headlines. Mm-hmm. And so I took it upon myself to dive into the medical literature to learn everything I possibly could about what my mom was going through and the risk factors that might have, you know, predisposed her to developing this condition. And it was really hard. It wasn't easy. I was like, it was like wading through, I don't know, like a forest of jargon and... Um, obtuse medical, you know, like, uh, um, you know, like misleading, like information and, and uh, especially with, nu- with where nutrition is concerned, like you realize that like, you know, there's so many more unanswered questions than there are answered questions, but nonetheless, I kept reading and reading and reading and cross-referencing and, um, you know, ultimately like, going beyond the medical literature to read books and TED talks and just whatever I can get my hands on. I mean I was just like voracious. I had the time and, you know, the the person who I loved most in the world was like, this is something that I had a highly vested interest in. This had and it had nothing to do with like a career at that Mm -hmm. at this point. It was just like for the sake of my mom's health.
1: Did you find the answers that you were looking for?
0: I learned, I mean, more than I ever would have thought possible about how to how to how to nourish and protect our brains as they age. And not just our brains, but our bodies, like our, the, the, the whole of our, of our beings are highly influenced by, uh, the inputs that, that we give them, right? Like whether it's like food or proper hydration or sunlight or movement. I mean, all of these things play a role. And, um, and I'll never know what it was for my mom that pulled the trigger on the development of her condition, and I could develop just as easily what what it was that my mom developed, but um, but at least I have a sort of roadmap so that I don't have to sit idly by as I await whatever you know it was that my mom that my mom developed. So hmm. so yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I just started putting out what I was learning on social media. Again, not with the intent of growing a following or anything like that.
1: Was it just like to your friends and family?
0: I had a, I mean, I had like a Facebook page, like a public Facebook page, but I wasn't like public on Instagram. You know, I wasn't, I didn't have a Twitter following or anything like that. I just started like sharing on Facebook, like, you know, you embed a link. And so I did that and I would like put above the link my take on what it was that I was like finding or reading. And... Um, and people started to share my posts and people would like come to me like as a curator of information. And I started to see that people weren't getting this information from from anywhere else. And also that I had a good, when people would talk to me in my own life about what it was that I was working on, I was like very passionate about volunteering everything that I was like learning. I was just like, Max, how you doing? Would be like, people would ask me like, Max, what's going on? How you doing? That would be like, Unwittingly, them like subjecting themselves to like a fifteen minute like regurgitation of like everything that I was like learning at the time, you know,
1: yeah.
0: And uh, and yeah, so I just started to realize. I mean, I was I was already a, a public like professional communicator and storyteller, but um, but I, I learned that I had an aptitude for uh, digesting, aggregating, and ultimately communicating science in a way that was um, exciting, but not irresponsible and, and got people to like, to act and to engage around, around these topics, which, you know, I mean, when you say dementia, most people think of like their grandparents, right? It's like something that most people don't feel like they need to be concerned about. But, um, but yeah, like, because I had this really relevant story to share with people, it got people to engage around the topic, which to me was like super exciting
1: most of the success that you see in the world is a symptom of somebody wanting to add value for somebody else like it's actually not necessarily like selfish ambition that gets you um, there it's like this passion to give something that other people perceive to have value in it but i'm curious because like my mom is on facebook i don't really use facebook and all of my mom's friends are posting and there's like engagement on it, but that's not a career. Yeah. So how did that, like at what point were you like, huh, maybe I could make money off of this? Yeah. Slash, how do you make money off of Facebook? Yeah.
0: yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, I mean, Facebook, nobody like uses Facebook anymore, right? Like, but at the time, um, I think there was still like a little bit of engagement around, it, especially with younger people. So the, f- the first thing that I decided to do that would actually be like, a uh, piece of work was I decided to do a documentary on what it was that my mom was going through. I'd never done a feature-length documentary before. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I decided to to do a film. You know, like to just like step my foot out there and 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 learn on the job, so to speak. And uh, and the film was going to be about dementia as a potentially preventable condition, which is not something that anybody was talking about at the time. And um, I put together, like, a little bit of money that I had, you know, whatever I could, like, scrape together, and I self-funded a Kickstarter teaser that I created. And, you know, I'm, again, prof- like, storyteller. Like, I think I'm, I'm good at what I do, and I, I created this this trailer the same way that I created a film as an undergraduate that got me this incredible job you know, above and beyond the thousands of people that that were vying for the same position, I got it. I knew that if I were to put myself, apply myself into and to pour myself into this project, into this teaser, really, that it would be successful. Because I knew that nobody was talking about this idea. I was plugged in. I, there was nobody who was more plugged into the zeitgeist than me. And um, and so I, I self-funded this, like, Kickstarter teaser. And... The campaign went viral. We aspired to raise seventy five thousand dollars for the project. We ended up raising one hundred and thirty thousand dollars wow. from like thousands of people all around the world. Uh, and uh, and that the fact that that campaign went so viral, and we now had the money to go and begin production on this project, um, that got a lot of it. I mean, it got a lot of uh, of attention. And so, like
1: media attention, media
0: attention, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I would say the most, I guess, the most important um, attention that it garnered. I mean, it was it was published in a lot of different like, I think Fast Company shared it, Upworthy shared it, like it was shared by a lot of different like publications. But, and and that was great for the project. But in terms of like a like, what gave me the sort of next bit of juice for my career, other than the fact that I was now able to work on this film was that the Kickstarter campaign was seen by producers at the Dr. Oz show. And the Dr. Oz show was a show that I didn't, you know, necessarily watch it, but I was very familiar with him. And to me, I thought it was amazing that he had this incredible platform where he was getting to talk about health and nutrition stuff all day long. Like, to me, that was like a dream show to be involved in, mm-hmm. um, even at the time. And so when I got that email from the producer, it was like one of the best. Well, what was the email?
1: What did it say?
0: That they had seen the campaign for my film, and that dementia is a very big and unexplored topic for the show. Like it's a big, it's a big topic of interest for their audience, which is like all older people, mm-hmm. um, and primarily women. And women, you know, are particularly interested in wellness. And also, you know, with regard to dementia, women have higher risk, generally speaking, than men. And so. Alzheimer's disease is a big topic for the show, but nobody at the time was talking about prevention and the fact that you could potentially prevent this condition. And I, you know, I was like uncovering all this incredible research that at the time was coming out like every week. There was a new incredible study, um, that that was like showing us like the impact that we could have with our choices on our brains, and uh, and yeah, it was incredible. So I went on, and of course, nobody there knew that I had six years under my belt like that I was like actually an on-camera personality. Right. Comfortable in front of the camera. They just thought
1: you were naturally charming or <laughs> or like they
0: yeah or that just that I was like a filmmaker. You know, yeah. like filmmakers aren't necessarily comfortable in front of the camera, mm-hmm. right? Like that they're two different skill sets. Get you a man who could do both, you know.
1: <laughs> Heard it here first.
0: So uh so they had me on and um and yeah, I just like the the what I was delivering was just I was like killing it. I was like in my freaking zone of confidence and competence and i was talking about my project and i was like talking about it responsibly and i was talking about like my mom and my why and why i was doing this film and how much i cared about other people and that i wanted other people to see this and, and to get on board with everything that i was learning at the time and like it was just a like they could tell like automatically like like in real time that their audience was just like loving it and that you know i mean also i didn't I don't look like your typical like guy in a white coat that goes on, you know. I was like, yeah. I was, uh,
1: you were thirty, <laughs> yeah, I was,
0: I, and and like a great, you know, communicator, and I was like very well versed, you know. I had under my belt like all of these hours. I had done my homework, so that by the time I actually had that golden opportunity to step up to the plate, it was like I, I couldn't do anything but hit a home run, you know. So I get there, and uh, and that. Basically, began this series of appearances on the Dr. Oz show. Part of it had to do with the fact that I was living in New York, and they w- and th- they realized at that point that the that this was a huge topic for their audience. Yeah, that they could do you know shows all about like brain health and foods to eat for a better brain, all that stuff. And so,
1: were they paying you?
0: I got like a Aftra standard fee. It was like a thousand bucks or something per per appearance. appearance. Yeah, okay. which to me at the time was like,
1: I'm making money, baby.
0: Yeah. 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 And, but there was a, a period where they were having me on like once a week, it, it felt like, wow. sending their car to pick me up. I was living like in my mom's house, right? And, uh, and then, yeah, multiple times a week, I was like going on on camera and, and talking about talking about brain health and nutrition and like unpacking these like studies for them. And, uh, and every segment that I've ever done with the Dr. Oz show, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. Like, just like all good.
1: So was that a moment in your life where you thought, I'm set? Like, I'm gonna be okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was on the precipice of something. I didn't know, again, what it was.
1: Was there still like a panic of maybe I won't get it?
0: Uh, the panic, I think, got a little bit like, it helped to like release some of the pressure because I felt like I was doing, I felt so good about what I was doing. You know, I felt so excited to be on TV again and talking about something that's like actually meaningful like every word that i got to utter on that show was like a word you know it was like it came from a place of such like you know such like desperation to talk about what i was going through in my life at the time that um it really it just felt like incredible like it felt amazing and wow. i was still broke but i was like you know i'm on i remembered like that trust that i that i that i felt that i knew that i needed to have in myself it it was like kind of like you know like that inner scared 5 year old that's like max like how are we going to like pay the rent like where's our career like you you have no resume you're unemployed like nobody's going to hire you can't get it you can't even get a job like it was like the adult that was like the evidence that the adult in the room needed to have to say don't worry about it little max like we're we're on the right path
1: to go back to what you would said at the beginning which is at the time there wasn't really social media for it to translate into followers was every dr. oz show just like giving you a, a little bump on Instagram or was that still before Instagram became a thing the
0: the whole Instagram game I mean that that was something that I had to figure out separately mm. um, and you know that's that was like a sort of fun like tangent thing because you know, on Instagram, it's like people are not as interested in, in brain health necessarily. People tend to be more interested in fitness and like body composition stuff, like weight. And so, you've got to cater your message to the to the audience, right, that mm-hmm. you want to reach. So, on Doctor Oz, I was like talking about one thing on Instagram. I was talking about something completely different, and uh, and yeah, everything's sort of started as as I would get more clear about my message, you know, and the impact that I wanted to have, and my and my perspective, and my my, you know. Stance on things, everything started to like rise in tandem, which was just more data. It was like more data that I'm like doing the right thing. Yeah. I'm like on the right path.
1: Do you think that um, there's a reason why, like, even on the digital social media space, that you are considered one of the top people um, to go to for health wisdom and advice? Like, what is it that makes you you?
0: I think it's that it's it's authenticity. I mean it sounds cliche, but I think it's that people know that I'm not in this to sell supplements. I don't have a supplement. I don't, you know, I work with different supplement companies, but um, I wasn't even in it to sell books. Like, you know, I got the book, the book deal came about because of the Dr. Oz show and all the other sort of traction that I was that I was gaining at the time.
1: So it was an inbound opportunity?
0: No, not okay. inbound. Yeah, that was something that like I took another risk. I took a gamble. I'm, I I was walking around New York city one day and I bumped into somebody who had just written a book and um, they were like, I think they were kind of privy to what I was doing on social media. And they were like, you think you have a book in you? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've never thought of myself as a future author, but like, I'll have a conversation with anybody. And so they connected me with their book agent who really believed in my story and my ability to, um, you know, like convey the science that I want, that I, had potentially thought about writing about, and um, he suggested I write a proposal. I wrote a proposal. It was like a 20-page book proposal, and then we would go and shop it around to different publishers, and so I remember we had four different meetings lined up, and uh, this is a cool story, too. Like, I remember, because, you know, like, at a certain point, like, as a professional communicator or as a singer or whatever, you, you know, you, like, You know when you've when you've hit a performance out of the park, and then you know when maybe you weren't like on your A game, you know. And so I uh, I had these like four different meetings lined up, and first meeting I thought I freaking slayed. (laughs) Second meeting slayed. Third meeting slayed. (laughs) Fourth meeting I didn't. I just I was like a little tired that day. I remember. I just I distinctly remember the first three meetings came back the the publishers that i met with all passes wow yeah the fourth one the publisher who i met with who i wasn't didn't feel like i was on my a game they were like we'll give max a chance so they decided to take me on to uh to allow me to write a book they gave me this little stipend and um i dedicated like uh, a year of my life to writing it. Like I was like, l- again, not making any money other than this this book proposal, which was like not a lot of money, like especially at the time I was living in New York City. Yeah. And, uh, and I just like, but I poured myself into it.
1: Did you ever think, oh, I just don't really care about money. I can get by. Like I know how to like save and cut costs. Did it matter to you? Were you like, was that ever something that you... Wanted to get, or was it just kind of like a natural byproduct when it came? You're like, okay, great.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I convinced myself that I didn't really care that much about being financially successful. Okay. And I. Because
1: I, I feel like that also impacts your life, like, especially as a guy. Yeah. Like, I feel like it impacts dating. Totally. You know?
0: Oh, yeah, my dating life was like nil during that time. I wasn't making any money. I mean, to be totally transparent, I you know I was I knew that I was never gonna starve. I was never gonna be homeless. Like my you know my my family's got my back, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I was I had dramatically cut costs. And my mom was not you know my mom raised me to <laughs> definitely know the value of a dollar. So it's not like she was like giving me a stipend to that point. But mm-hmm. um, but I knew that I wasn't gonna starve. I knew that I could like, you know, if I could just weather the storm, and like stick it out while I was living at home that, uh, that yeah, eventually something was going to happen, but I didn't know what it was. And, um, yeah, it can be, it can be tricky, but you know, I think money is like money is energy. And if you're adding value, you're gonna, the money is going to come like that's like 100% what I've learned to be true. If your shit is good, if you're creating good content and you're not an asshole, then the money will come. Because money is like energy. you got to think about it that way. You've got to like, you know.
1: Yeah, but don't you think there's like a million artists in the world that like are adding value that like- Yeah, well artists- Van Gogh. Yeah,
0: (laughs) but artists also have to like keep with the times and realize that like, you know, um, business models change, right? Like especially after COVID. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of like super successful artists, artists who anybody would say- have made it and covid was like a big hit so they've had to pivot and become a bit more like entrepreneurial i can't tell you that my income comes from any one place like it's 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 like a pie you know i've had to like put my entrepreneur hat on and do things that are not innate to my skill set like you know i've had to think like a i mean like a like a bit like an entrepreneur like i've i'm now the ceo of my own like sort of like ecosystem you know so that that requires me having to like Sit down and focus on things that I don't want to focus on. Um, like
1: what? Creating content?
0: No, creating content. I love it's like the business, the business side of things. Yeah, I like just thinking about the value that I can add to my followers, to my listeners, and um, but that is all the business stuff has come later. At the at first, for me, all it was was how can I add value. Gary V, who I don't know a ton about his work, I'm not one of these like Gary V fanboys, but one of his like. I think really cool ideas and you know, if, if any like Gary Vee fans are listening, maybe I'm going to butcher this, maybe not, but it's like he has this idea of like the jab, jab, jab punch mentality where you've got to like, you know, you've got to really think about adding value for free. And then the punch could be like your ask from the audience, whether it's like selling an album or selling a book, um, but just adding value. And like for me, because I'm a, storyteller and like to me the medium doesn't matter so much it was like okay how can i add value on instagram how can i add value on tv when that opportunity arises how can i add value on twitter how can i add value on like all of the different platforms for me i i realized at a certain point that this is no longer about me trying to look cool this is about me adding value and once i had that mindset shift I didn't care what I was posting on my Instagram feed. I was if it didn't work, fuck it. I would de- I would like delete it or archive it or whatever, but I would keep iterating and the and and trying to add value. And if a post wasn't being appreciated by my following, then guess what? It wasn't adding value. You can't be precious like about your about your shit, you know.
1: But do you not to get technical, but do you take your Instagram performance personally so if a post doesn't get a lot of likes do you think oh this post isn't adding value or do you think the algorithm didn't show it to enough people
0: uh i mean generally if it's if it's value what what value is is different for every medium so if a post doesn't do well i mean at this point for me it's i i think to myself it's not adding value you know Mm. either it's not like witty enough or it's not it's kind of obvious so yeah it's like if a a post doesn't do well it's not adding value if a post does add value then it tends to do well okay and sometimes the posts that add value they take a lot of work and sometimes posts that you work really hard on fall flat so you know it's like you just always and you're and but with every post you're learning and that's like the beauty of it
1: we're gonna do some rapid fire questions let's do it okay Career highlight, one sentence or less.
0: About a month ago, I was on the Joe Rogan experience. No way. Yeah. Wow. uh, That was definitely a career highlight.
1: First thing you think about when you wake up?
0: First thing I think about when I wake up, uh, my cat, because she's usually like laying on my head, (laughs) vibrating.
1: I forgot you had a cat.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, mornings are great because I get to like cuddle with her and she's very sweet. She's a very cuddly cat.
1: Uh, Thoughts on intermittent fasting?
0: Uh, I'm generally pro intermittent fasting 168 um, I mean it depends generally I think like a 12 hour window is sufficient most people are eating 16 hours a day so if you could just shrink that a little bit I think that probably makes sense also like later on like post dinner people tend not to eat healthy food post dinner if you think about it. it tends to be shit that you eat like while you're watching TV so after dinner I tend to like cut off my
1: but you don't believe in like extended fasts.
0: I do not believe in extended fasts. No, especially not for women, because I think like it's a it's a stressor, you know. And like women that like, you these know, these are with...
1: asking for a friend questions, by the yeah. way. <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
0: There's like fertility issues that can arise from like extended fasting, I, and there's no benefit to it. I don't think there's any benefit to it.
1: Amazing. Yeah. There you go.
0: I mean, well, I think tell that to, to the, my mom. To the extended <laughs> fasting, I think that there's there is benefit. To what's called early time restricted feeding. So it's like, you know, eating breakfast, going about your day, and then like eating an earlier dinner and not eating anything after dinner. I think there's a benefit to that.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, keto versus complex carbs.
0: Man, I think I'm kind of like in the middle on this one. I think keto, it depends. I think keto is great for people that have like neurological conditions. Um, or maybe I shouldn't even say great. I think it's a very uh, interesting. Um, you know, potential therapeutic diet, and there's like lots of really interesting research on it, and more needs to be done. But, um, But in general, I think like day to day for most people, I think I'm more of a fan of like integrating complex carbs like fibrous vegetables, whole fruit, things like that.
1: What do you think about counting calories or counting macros?
0: I'm not a fan. I think it could be helpful for some, especially if you've never done it before just to do like an audit of your diet. But uh, but I in general, I think it's um not something that you want to get kind of hooked on because it could lead to like obsessive thoughts about like food and calories. And, you know, I, li- I live in LA and like I see all the time like people that have like not the best relationships with food. And so for me, I think it's, yeah, like becoming obsessed with calories and things like that. It's important to know that calories matter, you know, that there's... Not necessarily like any one food that's gonna like turn into fat or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not into I, I personally I never count calories. I'm like kind of mindful of the calorie content of foods, but I never count.
1: Best advice for people trying to lose weight.
0: Eat more protein, prioritize protein and cut out the ultra processed like crap, like the junk foods. Yeah, you know, more protein, cut out the packaged processed foods thereby increasing overall diet quality and, um, and increasing satiety, and that should uh, that should help many people. A lot of people, when trying to lose weight, they try to just like eat less of what they're already eating, but what you're eating actually influences how much you eat. So if you increase the quality of your food, eat more protein, you'll be less inclined to overeat.
1: Okay, so theoretical. You're working or you go to a party or something, and- You come home, it's super late, you're hungry. Is it better to not eat your dinner or eat a dinner at like 10, 11 p.m.?
0: If you've like missed dinner? Yeah, if you missed dinner. Food that you eat late at night doesn't automatically turn into fat. That's a myth, right? There are benefits to eating earlier, but if you're hungry, eat something.
1: Uh, Your most controversial opinion?
0: Man, well, I'm not a fan of veganism. I talk about that quite that. a bit on social media, which is pretty controversial. I don't think it should be controversial. Yeah. But uh tends to be. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan. I don't think it's optimal. I think omnivory is optimal. And that that shouldn't be a controversial statement, but unfortunately today it is.
1: Do you think that weight is a result of how you're treating your body, or do you think it's um like a disposition?
0: I think it's about how you're treating your body. There's genetically People don't have different like metabolic rates. Like people aren't born with like super slow metabolisms, to the point that they're gonna you know like people people that, that are obese, like generally it's because they're. I mean, in the macro sense, they're eating more calories than they're burning every day. And people have like hormonal dysregulation, but that's not a genetic thing. You know that could be due to environmental toxicants. It could be, you know, overly sedentary lifestyles, low muscle mass. I mean, there's thyroid problem. Well, that would be like a hormonal issue. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and everybody can have the body that they desire, the, you know, like the and, the and the health that they desire. It just takes like it takes discipline and patience and knowing a thing or two about about nutrition.
1: If you could give your younger self one piece of feedback, what would that be? Chill. Everything's going <laughs> to work out you're going to end up on the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah. <laughs> okay, final question. What is something that is under your covers that people might not know about you?
0: Under my covers? I mean like my, your... like my cat? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just a big nerd. Like I like I love music, I love movies, and I love helping people and and doing, you know, creating my podcast and getting to wake up every day doing what I feel like I'm meant to do. like That's a very special feeling that I guess not many people get to feel. So I'm very grateful for that.
1: I don't know, is that a cliche answer? (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna play some games. There you go. Have you played this before? It's called We're Not Really Strangers. I love this game. Great game.
0: Okay, what do you think? (laughs) I'm asking you this? Yeah, you're asking me. What do you think is the hardest part of what I do for a living?
1: Okay, this is totally projecting, but I would imagine, like, the solitude. Yeah. There's a lot of hours just, like, on your phone creating content.
0: That's a good one, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty hard. I mean, I do work a lot in solitude, although, you know, now I have, like, a full-time, like, assistant who I work with, thankfully, and we have a lot of fun.
1: Well, what is the answer to this question?
0: Ooh, so I got to answer that? (laughs) What is the – what the hardest part is?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just projected on you. That's, yeah, that's not a real answer.
0: Well, I guess the hardest part is like not having a precedent that I can model my career after necessarily. So the hardest part is like
1: that's why you're on this show. That's like what the show is about. Yeah,
0: fair. There's no precedent. Like, there's nobody doing like what like what I f- like. There's nobody out there fully. I mean, there's like people that are kind of like doing bits and pieces of what I aspire to do. You know, but um, but no, like I'm a you know, I've got, I'm working on a film, I've got like books, like I'm just sort of like winging it. Like every day is like a new day. And uh, and yeah, so that that's like, that's, it, it's wonderful and it's challenging, but it's also, um, it can be difficult, right? Like, cause I don't, I can't tell you what I'm gonna be doing, what I'm gonna be doing 10 years from now. Yeah. I have no clue.
1: Okay, this is random. Do you think I fall in love easily, why or why not? <laughs> Do I think you fall in
0: love easily? <laughs> I
1: think you have enough. Uh, I feel knowing like, of me. To yeah. Answer that question.
0: I think, yeah, because you're an, an artist. You're by virtue of that a romantic. <laughs> no. I don't know. I think so.
1: I fall in love too easily.
0: Maybe not too easily, but I think that you're.
1: I fall in love easily.
0: Like I think you're a romantic, and romantics tend to be. They tend to like lead with open hearts. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. It's a it's a blessing and a curse.
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay, your turn.
0: What parts of yourself do you see in me?
1: (laughs) My eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I know you beyond this conversation, and I absolutely love and admire the fact that you have independent thoughts, and you are not afraid to speak your truth. And, um... I like that like what you read online doesn't dictate your opinion of things that like you actually go to the source
0: yeah I love that about you too
1: has a stranger ever changed your life
0: yeah there's just like random things that I encounter that I that I people that that I encounter that maybe there's not even an interaction but I just you know I'll never I never forget um you know, like a homeless person on a subway in New York City that one time and they just looked particularly pitiful and it um and it stuck stayed with me, you know. And like I didn't have money to give them at that time and I just remember that.
1: I'm gonna give us ten minutes to write a song, or I have a friend who absolutely loves you. Oh and Wow,
0: what did she say that we
1: should write a song about? (laughs) If you could give a title For a song that Max and I could write together, what would (laughs) you suggest? And she was a genius. And she said, call it the Genius Song. The Genius (laughs) Song? Oh no. I live for Aero One in Venice. Fuck that. (laughs) It's so expensive. I spent so much fucking money (laughs) at Aero One. They should give me a free membership yeah but if it's there it's good for you at least that's what they say when you call their management
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't know why i've called their management but that's true have you yeah you have. text
0: the number it's like in the bathroom like report something that you've mm.
1: seen anonymously or something not exactly no. but their hot bar is absolutely impeccable okay um wow well, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, my name is Layla Perry, and you're watching Under the Covers, my show about the risks taken, the mountains climbed, and the victories behind some of the biggest game changers shaping culture and entertainment today. Jeremy Fox, yes, Max Lugavir, <laughs> Mari Llewellyn. It's me! Glenn Coco. Drumroll! <laughs> <General> Graham Bun. <laughs> Scott Hanson. <laughs> intro ever. Give it a yeah, I bet they'll call you a genie us.